Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Bruton. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. ESG funds are on track for a record year of inflows, raking in over $21 billion in the first quarter of 2021 and on pace to exceed the $51 billion in inflows last year. Renewable energy investments and opportunities are contributing mightily to these inflows, with electricity production exploding over the last two decades as the cost of wind and solar and energy storage has come down. In the past, Investments in renewable energy haven't necessarily translated into favorable returns for investors. But David Scher, who's the co-CEO of Greenbacker Capital, is joining me on Can You Hold My Attention today to tell us why there's no longer a conflict between generating great social outcomes and generating great investment returns. David co-founded Greenbacker in 2011 and he and his colleagues have been maniacally dedicated to their mission of a transition towards a renewable energy future. And he's bringing sustainable energy and other infrastructure investment opportunities to market for financial advisors across the U.S. Greenbacker invests in a portfolio of income-producing renewable energy facilities and energy-related ventures with holdings diversified across geography, size, and power sources. I've always been fascinated with renewable energy sources ever since my early adulthood when I lived close to the Altamont wind farms in Northern California. But now renewable energy is as much about storage as it is about production. And I'm eager to hear from David his views on not just what's driving this growth, but how to harness it from an investor standpoint. Welcome, David, to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, the, uh, I want to talk about the backdrop of renewable energy and, and that sector. And I also want to get into Greenbacker and your mission of the firm. But, you know, I also wanted to talk about the fact that, you know, my daughter majored in environmental policy in college. She's very passionate about renewable energies, and she just joined a company that shares that passion. I'm very happy for her. I'm a proud papa. She's heard several of my podcasts in the past, but I think she's really going to listen to this one. And I think you said, David, your son uh, has a greater appreciation for what you're doing as well. Yeah. So I've worked in many different jobs on Wall Street, working in trading firms, investment banks, et cetera. Uh, this is the first job that I've ever had that my son thinks is cool. That's great. You know, support of your kids is, is important. And I got to tell you, I love a firm that backs up their mission statement to support the growth of renewable energy by actually making your firm's conference tables from solar panels. I saw that on your website. I think that's really cool. And if you tell me your Wi-Fi is powered by a wind turbine on your roof in New York, I'm going to be really impressed. 
Yeah, sadly, um, it's really hard to, to get renewables up on the rooftop of skyscrapers in New York. So we don't have that here in New York, although probably in some of our other offices, we might have some of those. things. Well, good, good. And hopefully uh, New York comes around one day and takes off the uh, helipads and puts up wind turbines. You know, but the concept of moving away from traditional sources of energy like coal and natural gas have have really only taken shape over the last 10 to 15 years, despite the fact that renewable, renewable energy has been around for about 100 years. Even still, renewable resources only provide about 13% of the electricity we consume in the U.S. And solar growth has, has really gone through the roof, no pun intended, over the last 10 to 15 years. And then you have people like Elon Musk, who has transformed car manufacturing into this business of sustainable transportation. You all at Greenbacker obviously think the upside's massive. That's why you're in the business. That's why you're changing the world here. But tell me why. Yeah, it's interesting. Greenbacker has been around for roughly 10 years. And uh, I would say that um, what you've seen uh, that's really driven renewables is cost coming down. Um, Traditionally, you, you know, you have solar panels that were used in the space missions in the 1960s and 50s. Um, so it's battle-tested technology, but it was very expensive. Um, for example, um, in, 19, in the 1970s, Jimmy Carter famously put solar panels on the roof of the White House. It cost about $77 per watt <laughs> to put them there. Now we're buying panels in the 30 to 40 to 50 cents per watt. So the cost curve has driven down, which makes renewables more um, able to be put in different locations. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Ronald Reagan took those panels down from the White House, um, I guess sort of, a, you know, wanted a slight Jimmy Carter. Um, but those panels were sold to a college in Maine where they continue to, to work today. Wow. So it's an interesting, um, the longevity of those kind of uh, panels. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. The cost certainly has something to do with it, but obviously the awareness of the benefits of, of renewable energy, along with the issues that have been created through other sources, traditional sources of energy, have surely, have surely contributed to this. Um, and as, as, as I said, exploded over the last two decades as the cost has come down of wind and solar. But but I don't think that's translated into very many big wins for investors. You you meet with a lot of RIAs, a lot of financial advisors. What level of interest are you getting from them? And is the, inter is, is the interest typically driven by the advisor or by the client? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I would say that just like every other business, there are ways to play a particular trend. And, you know, when people look at renewable energy, typically they think manufacturing. Um, they're thinking about people who make solar panels, who make um, power inverters that convert direct current to alternating current and, and technology. But there's another way to play renewable energy, which is buying projects that generate uh, electricity and sell the electricity. So that's what we do. It's more of a safe and boring strategy. Uh, and it certainly has been successful for investors. I think what investors are, are really responding to is a couple of things. Their investor base is becoming younger and younger. People are, are um, 
millennials are taking more and more of the investment dollar. Uh, and they're looking for investments that kind of fit their their social their social goals as well as their economic goals. And so there's just been a lot of, uh, I guess, demand for renewable energy strategies. In the past, as I said, most of them are built around manufacturing, which is a very high risk uh, business. So you've had some successes, some failures. Um, investing in projects that sell electricity is more like investing in a small electric utility, a kind of a safe, boring strategy that's income oriented. So I think those type of strategies have done very well for investors, uh, whereas you know speculating on a technology or on a manufacturing business is always hard. So what you know, I know one of the challenges as our, our investors are deciding what phase or what life cycle is this industry in right now. Buying into an industry too early can be risky because companies aren't established, but waiting too long can leave companies in decline. So what what cycle do you think we're in right now? So I would say we're in the early cycle of a massive generational change in the way we generate electricity. Um, as you said, uh, renewables account for you know 13 to 15 percent of what we generate, but most of the new assets being developed for for electricity are either natural gas or renewables. Um, so uh, that's where a lot of the money is going. And uh, people estimate that there's a $10 trillion requirement to fit just mandates that the states have, have uh, put on the generation of renewables. So for example, um, New York State has uh, a mandate that by the year 2040, that 100% of their power must come from renewable sources. That's a gigantic shift in the way power is created, and it's going to create a lot of new solar and wind farms. So you've seen in New York State a tremendous number of new developments in the space. Some of them are going to be built over the course of the next couple of years, but it's it's going to be a massive opportunity for investment. Well, you also have a president um, and administration pushing for solutions to combat climate change. Uh, there's a lot of innovative technologies out there. I mean, the secret's out of, there is no secret about this. It's it's out of the bag. So there's going to be a lot of competition too. Are, are you kind of seeing that out there as well? Yeah, there there is a lot of money that's chasing renewable energy uh, assets. I mean, part of our strategy is, is built around working with smaller developers where we can create long-term relationships where they create transactions for us over years and we buy all their transactions. And that sort of uh, kept us, keeps us out of the competition that we, we've seen in larger transactions. But you see Canadian pension funds, Australian pension funds, insurance companies buying these super large assets. Um, and, you know, we think that's good for the space. That said, we need a lot more renewables. So there's going to be a lot of development going on and we'll participate in that very, very large mega trend. Well, I mentioned the Biden administration, but you know, there was there was a big focus <clears throat> during the Obama administration on renewables as well. I don't know what you what you thought about that. I don't know if it really took off, but I think part of it is, you know, when you look at the cost of renewables versus other power sources, it's widely agreed that the US power grid requires a significant investment. What does the U.S. have to do to modernize infrastructure to ensure safe and reliable electricity distribution throughout the country? 
Yeah, so there's multiple questions there. Sort of just if you think about the Obama administration, I think that really jump-started uh, the development of renewables. Um, they had a, a program that allowed for the investment tax credit to be essentially a cash uh, payment from the government. And that really started moving renewables into the mainstream. Um, so it was very positive um, for the industry, and it definitely started jump-starting things uh, for that. If you look at studies, though, right now for the production of electricity on an unsubsidized basis, meaning without any tax benefits or government subsidies, uh, renewables are now the cheapest form of power generation in the country. Cheaper than natural gas, certainly cheaper than coal, and cheaper than nuclear. So the issues that you have with renewables are all around intermittency. They don't generate power as baseload. Uh, when the sun shines, it generates power. When the wind blows, it generates power, but not all the time. So I think a lot of the investment that you're going to see is in storage, being able to store electricity so that it can be used by the, by the grid. The other uh, element I would say is that you need more transmission, particularly for wind. Wind assets are built in areas where there's not a lot of people. There's a lot of wind, but not a lot of people. So if you have uh, a wind uh, farm, you want to be able to sell the power to an area which needs it, which is population centers, lots of people. So you need transmission lines to uh, take the power from where it's plentiful to where it's needed. Uh, and I think there is a, a drastic need for more investment in the, in the grid. So let me challenge you on something. You said renewable energies are a cheaper form of energy now than they were much, much cheaper than they have been in the past and actually lower than traditional sources of energy. When you compare that to a, a coal farm or, or a natural gas facility that's already up and running, is it still cheaper than, than those forms of energy? So coal, yes. Um, natural gas, it's marginally, it's marginally about the same, certainly for new construction. So you have to remember that many of the power plants in the United States are over 40 years old. They're in the process of being retired. And what do you replace them with? So they have to be replaced by new power generation assets. Some of them will be natural gas. Um, very, we're not building any new coal facilities. And we're building, I think, one or two nuclear facilities. So it's going to be largely renewables and storage that uh, is the area. Now, again, the cost curve continues to decline for, for among other things, storage. So it, it is widely estimated that by the year 2023, um, solar plus storage will be competitive with uh, natural gas for the production of electricity. So once that is crossed over, you would not want to build anything that isn't renewable. Obviously, there's there's politics behind this. There's other lobbying groups behind it. But what arguments do coal plant and natural gas proponents have for maintaining these forms of energy? I think largely there's jobs, right? So people um, who are in those industries want to maintain their jobs, um, which, you know, it's an important thing to maintain employment and, and create employment. So, you know, if you're working in a natural gas, um, you know, industry, you certainly want to continue that business. Um, so there has to be some kind of transition. 
That said, you know, as renewables become cheaper, it just becomes an easier and easier decision to build them. Um, in the East Coast, they've um, started building offshore wind. Um, that's going to be a, a major driver of lower costs for consumers. And at the end of the day, if you can produce electricity inexpensively for consumers, that industry is going to win um, over something that's more expensive and more difficult to permit. Plus, when you when you put billions of dollars into a, a new offshore into a new wind farm, you know you can be one hundred percent sure there's not going to be a wind spill or some sort of issue that's going to cause effects to you know effects to the environment to to employees that you know danger to employees and uh, you don't see a lot of that with wind and solar. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously fossil fuels have proponents who have been talking about. The benefits of uh, fossil fuels, which are there are many of them. Number one, there are certain industries that it would be very difficult to convert into into renewable. So the airline industry needs fossil fuels of some kind. Um, there are some experimental electric planes and things like that, but they need something to to power those planes, and it would be difficult to change them to renewable energy assets. Um, but in general. I think what you see is that um, the cost of fossil fuel burning is not just the cost of the energy itself. It's also the externality that is borne by society. So when you, you have emissions of solar energy, it lowers health outcomes. It obviously produces climate change, which somebody else is bearing the cost of that. It is estimated that if, um, if fossil fuels actually took into account all those externalities, it would be unaffordable um, to produce them and, and use that for generating electricity. So right now, it's, it's sort of like the garbage company business that dumps garbage in the, in the river, right? It's like it's, they're not disposing of it reasonably. Right. Um, they're just saying, oh, I'm dumping it in the river, so I've got a low cost of getting rid of the garbage. Right. Uh, that's the problem with it. And I think people are beginning to recognize that it's true, that um, there is an externality and a cost to society. I'll be back with David Scher right after this. Sustainable infrastructure can mean sustainable income. With the economy bouncing back, speculative investments might seem attractive until they don't. Greenbacker delivers low correlation, sustainable infrastructure investment opportunities in an essential industry, energy production. Greenbacker connects investors seeking steady returns with the long-term renewable energy projects that the firm owns and operates. With society increasingly tapping cheaper, cleaner power to meet its growing energy needs, Greenbacker's real asset strategy offers a defensive cushion against future volatility, all the while contributing to a greener future. You can learn more by visiting Greenbacker's website at greenbackercapital.com. Welcome back to Can You Hold My Attention with my guest, David Scher. So fossil fuel proponents also argue that you know renewable energy can be bad in the sense that manufacturing and transporting will you know, could produce some emissions and pollutants. Um, do you buy that? It's certainly true that if you manufacture something, it's going to use energy and it's going to require um, 
energy to build, which obviously creates pollutants. There's, you know, you're, you're taking frequently rare earth metals out of certain areas. So there's mining, there's all sorts of issues associated with it. But, but basically every study shows that if you compare it to uh, traditional forms of energy, it, it, it replaces much more than it, than it takes. So, um, you know, renewable energy, a solar uh, panel is going to replace the manufacturing cost in, in, um, in emission savings over a very short period of time. And then the rest is essentially free uh, of, uh, of any emissions. So it's not even in the same ballpark as traditional forms of power generation. What about all these Tesla batteries? I mean, you know, in these cars, I mean, we're, we're, we're once, once these cars are retired in the future, I know there's a lot of recyclable opportunities there, but what happens with all of these? Yeah. So again, you know, the battery storage issue is definitely an issue. There is a need for uh, a, a larger scale uh, recycling effort for these batteries. Uh, and, you know, you're dealing with volatile chemicals. I mean, batteries are volatile chemicals. Um, so you need, um, you know, a place to kind of um, recycle them, reuse different elements of it. So that is going to be a gigantic industry. That said, there are also new batteries that are being developed that use less volatile chemicals, that use different kinds of configurations to produce electricity with less, more like seawater type acidity, as opposed to super high acid that you see in lithium ion batteries. So I think over time, it'll get more and more um, clean. But yeah, that's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. The other issue is, you know, if you have an electric car, where is the power coming from, right? If you're an electric car o- owner in an area where the power plant is a coal plant, you're generating a lot of emissions by using that electricity. If, on the other hand, you're in an area like the Pacific Northwest, where a lot of the power is coming from hydro, um, you're not. So that is a bigger savings there than it would be in an area where there's fossil fuel as the power source. That's an so there's just a lot of elements to this. Yeah, I mean, so you 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 check one box in the sense that you've bought a Tesla and you're you're be more responsible, but the power that you're using to to recharge those batteries comes from a coal plant. So that's, uh, I never thought of it that way. That's really interesting. But, you know, talking about battery storage, let's segue to your mission at Greenbacker, because I know you're doing some things around battery storage, but, you know, what are you most excited about as you look to change the energy footprint in America and also generate returns for your investors? Yeah, so I, I definitely think that um, you know renewables have been a fantastic investment, continue to be, and as I said, it's as many trillion dollars worth of required uh, capital in the space. So having more renewable energy power facilities is definitely important to us, um, but also being able to provide electricity when the grid needs it, uh, as opposed to just when it's generated. So studies show that once you get to, let's say, 60% penetration or 70% penetration by renewables, um, the cost to the grid goes up a lot um, because you need some kind of storage system to keep the power um, on when, when it's intermittent. Um, so, you know, that's where I think there's going to be the most um, uh, change in the industry is 
in the adoption of new storage technologies, both short duration and longer duration storage technologies. The good thing about this is virtually every major company in the power business is working on batteries, right? This is now a scalable, gigantic business um, where there's literally billions and billions of dollars of investment in the next technology. Um, so everyone recognizes that this is an issue and our best people are working on the solution to it. Um, so I think over time, and you've seen it, right? You buy a, an iPhone and it lasts longer. It does more and it lasts longer than it did you know, in the last version. And then you buy the new one, it lasts more. So that's what's happening, right? The investment in scale and manufacturing and lowering the cost and making it more efficient and safer is all being done. And that sort of provides a ripple on benefit to the power industry. I've, I've saw that Greenbacker is now in 29 states. You've got assets and installations in 29 states. Is that right? That's right. Uh, it may even be uh, 30 states at this point. So we're really investing throughout uh, the United States and today. Is it an equal sort of distribution between energy sources like wind farms and also the storage that you just talked about facilities? No. So most of the assets that we've owned today are renewable energy, so solar and wind farms. Um, what we're seeing, though, is there's more and more um, transactions that are either solar or wind plus storage. So in other words, you build the, the solar farm and you build a battery storage facility as part of that construction. Um, or uh, we're also seeing a lot more development of standalone storage. So these are storage assets that are built to help the grid. So they're there to take power when it's very cheap and supply that power to the grid when it's absolutely necessary. Right. Um, so you're going to see more and more development of that. It's a rapidly growing business. Um, and I would say that's probably one of the nearest term exciting developments in the industry. Are there any government mandates around these these facilities also capturing that that storage? I mean, are they are they required to do so or is it just a, a business, a good business interest? Yeah, so I think it's a combination. Um, there are, I believe, seven ISOs. These are integrated system operators. That is essentially the regional grid operator uh, in the country. And they each have different programs built around um, storing energy, um, providing energy when it's needed. Just think about the power, um, the power grid as kind of a big, um, it, what it provides is capacity to people that if you have a good electric guitar and you plug it in, that power goes right into the guitar, right? They don't know that you're going to plug in the guitar. They don't know that you're going to use the electricity. It's there because they're producing to a certain amount of capacity. And that capacity is frequently, um, it's fine, right? But then there's days in the middle of summer when everyone's using their air conditioning and the capacity gets a little strained, right? The, the amount of demand for electricity is more than or gets close to the capacity provided. So what the utilities do in those cases is they go down to somebody who's got a, a power plant that operates maybe five to 10 days per year, and they say, turn it on now. And they turn on that power plant, and it's very expensive power because the plant is, there, is operating very infrequently. But it's there for when the um, when the grid needs it. Right. 
So that's what you really have to think about when you're when you're thinking about how these power systems work is the utility is trying to make sure that on the biggest day of the year, hottest day, everyone's using their lights, everyone's using electricity, that they can provide enough. Because if they can't, they're brownouts, blackouts, et cetera. Which, you know, I'm in California and we've seen a lot of that out here, obviously, yeah. as is, you know, Pacific Northwest, right, recently with, with the, uh, the heat that they saw up there. Um, are there any up and coming renewable energy trends that you're particularly keen on right now? So there's there's a lot of new um, areas where people are um, investing capital. Um, we we see opportunities in, um, for example, uh, green hydrogen. Um, so these are this is hydrogen uh, that is produced using renewable energy sources, and that hydrogen can be used for certain types of industries. It could be used in the production of ammonia. And in some cases, you can even pipe the hydrogen into a natural gas pipeline. Hydrogen is a clean burning fuel. It doesn't have emissions. So that could be a future um, area of of growth. Um, But I would say right now, really, most of the focus is on, you know, renewable energy plus some kind of storage element. Smart grids, uh, these would be using technology that's designed to pull power from one place, put it into another place, um, really kind of operate the grid in a a smarter way uh, than it's been done to date. Uh, And I think that kind of technology wasn't available uh, 10 years ago. Um, We're seeing a lot of trends in in, um, energy efficiency too, using um, smarter electric motors um, so there's a company, Turntide Technologies, uh, which um, has a very interesting technology where they use a switched reluctance motor. This is a motor that doesn't use nearly as much electricity uh, to to provide electric power to refrigerators and air conditionings and other kinds of things. So that kind of technology could also be really exciting uh, area. Uh, for investors. That's great. And, you know, and I saw last year you expanded in Greenbacker expanded into battery storage. So, yeah, so there's, there's many different types of storage. I mean, the traditional form of storage is pumped water storage, right? A dam is a storage device. You're storing future electricity in the dam. You let the water go through a turbine, it turns the turbine, generates electricity. So that is one form of storage. Um, but there are many others. Batteries are, are uh, among them, but there's also compressed air, compressed water, um, other types of storage elements that people are trying to work on. And I think there's a place for uh, a lot of them. There's even uh, a company, I, I can't recall the name, um, but they have a system of cranes that pick up large blocks of concrete and stack them. And then when the power is needed, they allow the, the, uh, the, the large concrete or ceramic to pull down on the crane and it generates electricity that way. So it's like this gigantic, um, you know, like a kid's set of blocks. Um, that is a completely mechanical storage device and seems kind of interesting to me. So there's, there's just a lot of need for that. Um, so there's going to be demand for short duration storage. Um, just think about your your again your iPhone again or your or your Android phone. You've got a little little battery in there. It's highly volatile. 
it's got a lot of volatile chemicals in there. Why? Because it needs to be put into a little space and it needs to be on demand. It needs to just send that power immediately, right? Um, but there are other technologies that are more um, uh, larger scale where you don't need that kind of quick interaction of the power. Um, these are called flow batteries and they discharge and recharge at a much slower rate, but they're cheaper to manufacture. They use less volatile chemicals. So all of those kinds of things are going to be important in the transition. And, you know, no, no, no one technology ever wins everything. Um, there are different applications for different things. Um, that said, lithium-ion batteries are battle-tested. They're manufactured at scale. They're already seeing drastic price declines and improvements um, in safety. So I think that's definitely going to be one area that uh, is is a big part of the future. Well, there's no question this this area is ripe for innovation. Uh, some of the things you just talked about, drop. I never thought about dropping concrete blocks to generate energy, but somebody smart out there thought about that. Um, and so it's a growth industry without question. And the risk of you know extreme weather and the need to reduce our carbon footprint are not the stuff of some of the distant future, the realities today. The private sector, federal government are investing mightily in re renewable energy, and many businesses are listening to their customers and taking action to to lower carbon pollution. So, with big tech, you know, leading the way in many respects. But you know, you've you're doing some great work at Greenbacker, David, and uh, I thank you for for being on my show today. You're putting this, your own stamp on making the world a better place, and you should be you and your colleagues should be commended for that. Yeah, I, I thank you very much for that. I mean, look, it's a combination of things. We're looking to produce really great returns for our investors. That's our core mission. And at the same time, um, generate good social outcomes. And it's not uh, a conflict anymore. It's not a trade this or that. It's uh, something where you can get both. So that's hopefully more industries are formed along those lines. Well, you know, and you've seen ESG funds, they're on, on track for another record year of inflows. And so, you know, it's, it's no longer a secret. It feels good to be doing these things. And like you said, the returns are coming with it. So that's, that's great. Well, again, thank you very much, David. Good luck to you for the rest of the year. Stay healthy and I uh, appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day and stay safe.